everyone, and thank you for joining me. I'm Tracy Harris, and this is At Home in My Head, the podcast that explores life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. In the last episode, I said that when a privileged person and a marginalized person have a conversation or an encounter where the privileged person walks away confused or puzzled by what they've been told, it's usually that the person with privilege is so steeped in the dominant culture narrative that they don't understand what the marginalized person is trying to convey. I see this all the time. Privileged people reacting in disbelief to something they've heard or been told by someone marginalized because it goes against what the privileged person believes they know or what they think makes sense based on a lifetime of hearing nothing but dominant culture messaging. One good example that I've used on the show before is the often taught mantra that slavery in the U.S. has been abolished, that it was ended by the 13th Amendment. I looked it up recently to get the amendment text and even saw an example of how the dominant culture narrative deviates from reality. I posted it to my social media page with commentary that said, When I read an entry like this on a Google search, it gives me the same vibe I had when I got out of the church and then later went back to reread the Bible. That feeling of, this isn't saying what I was taught it said, and I must have read it a million times and never noticed it wasn't saying what I was taught it said. That mystified disbelief at how I could have been so indoctrinated. It's this all over again. They said right there in the intro that this amendment abolished slavery in the United States. They then quote the amendment in full. And I know I've read it in school. And I never noticed that it absolutely does not abolish slavery. How could I have not noticed that in an amendment that's only two sentences long? It's exactly how I felt rereading the Bible and thinking, how did I never see this? The Google screen grab that I shared reads as follows. Passed by Congress on January 31, 1865, and ratified on December 6, 1865, the 13th Amendment abolished slavery in the United States and provides that, quote, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction, unquote. The amendment included a loophole something most white people fail to see, even though it's hiding in plain sight. It allows for slavery and also involuntary servitude as punishment for a crime. This has never been abolished. It's still in effect today and still practiced today. In fact, after the passage of the amendment, the southern states began to pass something called Black Codes, Laws that made it illegal to do things like walk on a public road without a pass from your employer, set up a camp near a town or settlement, rent or buy housing in a town or settlement. You get the idea. As soon as the amendment to, quote, abolish slavery, unquote, was passed, these black codes went into effect requiring newly freed enslaved people to stay put on the plantations and keep working. If they tried to leave, it was illegal and they'd be arrested and sent back to the plantation to keep working as a prisoner. It was a consciously designed scheme to keep black people working on the white-owned plantations. And most people today don't realize this. We're just taught that slavery was abolished and Reconstruction began, and then civil rights. And now we're all equal under the law. But when I'm not impacted by the system due to race, 
It's easy to not see what's going on all around me, right in front of my face. The fact that the amendment says slavery is still legal, and we all have that amendment text in front of our faces when we're taught slavery was abolished, and it's almost never questioned, demonstrates how dominant culture narratives pumped out by white-owned institutions can keep us from seeing realities that don't impact us due to our privilege. So we're told it's not happening, we believe it's not happening, but it is happening right in front of our faces, and the proof it's still legal is also right in front of our faces, but we don't see it, almost like magic. As someone who was raised in a church and believed the Bible was the word of God, I had this experience after I deconverted. I would go back and read the Bible and see passages I believed said one thing, saying something entirely different. I remember reading those passages a thousand times and being told they said something that I now saw wasn't there at all. It's a very unnerving feeling, to be honest, when it happens on a large scale. It's hard to fathom how I could believe the text was saying one thing while it said another, and while it was right there in front of me as I was reading it. In the episodes I did on indoctrination, I said it isn't like education. And to some degree, that's true. It's not like learning math, for example. But when it comes to learning about narratives like history or social studies or social and public policy and systems, it appears to work exactly the same way. Slavery is still legal and still happening in prisons in the U.S. And people in the U.S. still, by a good majority, will tell you that we abolished the practice back in 1865. We didn't. That's a lie. And the text of the amendment can be Googled, and it's right there in our faces, and we don't see it, because we were told the dominant culture narrative that slavery was abolished. Privileged people who aren't impacted by prison slavery today are easily led to believe this. People who are not privileged enough to be able to avoid this system know what's really going on. But when a disempowered and marginalized person tries to say that slavery is still happening, we find that hard to believe because we know it was abolished in 1865. We're sure of it. Our teachers told us. It was in our history books in school. Everyone knows it. And we don't listen to the marginalized person. We don't hear them. We think they're reciting some extremist talking point, some hyperbolic claims about our prison system. We don't even entertain for a minute they might be right, because an entire system and all our institutions are telling us otherwise. As a white person, I want it to be true that slavery was abolished. I want it to be true that I'm not perpetuating racist harm in a white supremacist system. I want it so much that I believe it, even when confronted with evidence I'm absolutely being misled. And I've seen others confronted with this same undeniable reality, still trying to rationalize it, trying to reason that it was race-based or chattel slavery that was abolished. But that's really not what they teach. We simply teach it was abolished. The end. There is no justification or excuse It's just a comfortable and convenient lie to defend our privilege as white people. We keep finding creative ways to incarcerate black people and perpetuate this slave system. And as long as we believe it's not happening, we have no incentive to fix it. It was fixed in 1865, right? Done and dusted. No need to abolish slavery in 2022 because it was already abolished. Recently, I've seen an example crop up a few times of privilege getting in the way of hearing the truth from marginalized people. 
You may have heard there's another trans athlete that won something. They've lost several times as well, but you're not going to hear about that because it doesn't fit the privileged narrative that basically follows a chain of reasoning that anyone who was assigned male at birth will always and forever triumph in physical contests against anyone else. The fact that trans women lose is inconvenient, and so those stories aren't platformed. What's platformed are the stories of trans women winning, but you'll probably be relieved to hear that this episode is not about trans women in women's sports. It's about how privileged people can't seem to see the problem that's called out in one particular question being asked of them. Since when did you start caring about women's sports? I've seen multiple pushbacks on this question in more than one form, but none of the pushback actually addresses the problem that the question is meant to convey, just as white people have a hell of a time understanding what it means when they hear that slavery in the U.S. was never abolished. Some privileged people don't understand the reason this question is being asked. First, let me say that the people who are struggling that I've seen have just so happened to be cis white men. I am by no means saying they're the only people who could possibly be confused on this, but it's just the handful I've encountered that were in this category. Some said they simply seemed baffled as to why this question was relevant and another actually confused it with relative privation, the idea that minor injustices don't matter if major ones exist. To be clear, I'm fine dealing with all injustice, and I'm also fine with prioritizing injustice when resources require it. I agree that injustice should not be tolerated, large or small, and should be addressed as needed as well as it can be. I want to quote a content creator who goes by Fantastic Mr. Fox, who summed up this idea very nicely in a recent video. He talked about how it's possible for someone to present themselves as a person endeavoring to support a marginalized community, when in reality they're simply using that community as a cudgel for the purpose of exercising their bigotry. In other words, I really am okay with women being treated unfairly, I just don't like trans people, And now this issue with trans women in sports gives me leverage to use cis women to attack trans women, thus doing harm to both marginalized communities by tokenizing and using cis women to hammer trans women. Here is how Mr. Fox describes it. Quote, Perhaps a means of enacting other prejudice under a guise of social justice. Because if you're using the discrimination that other people face as a jumping-off point for your own personal beef with someone... You're politicizing identities for your own agenda. You're taking a facet of the same thinking that hurts marginalized people on a systemic level and applying it on a social level as well. Tokenizing and objectifying cis women and using women's issues as your personal cudgel is not noble or helpful. In fact, it's harmful. You're doing harm to women when you treat them like your personal tools to enact your bigoted damage. I don't want to be weaponized by cis men as a mechanism to do harm to other women. They're harming women and then using women as their excuse to be misogynists. They aren't helping anyone. They hurt everyone, all women, when they only step in to help when it's a chance for them to do harm to some subset of women. Their trans bigotry is not something I need to be pulled into. It's not something I want to be used as cover for. 
Stop using marginalized people to do harm to other marginalized people because you don't actually give a shit about either community. That is the point of the question, since when do you care so much about women's sports? You aren't a noble white knight. You're just a misogynist who doesn't care about cis women or trans women. You're an anti-trans bigot who sees me as your shield and your weapon and your opportunity to do harm to other women. And I denounce you. If you haven't taken an interest in the pay disparity in women's sports, the publicity disparity in women's sports, the sexual abuse in the structures of women's sports, then maybe you don't really care about helping women athletes. Maybe you only find a motive to act like you care when you can use it to, as Fox describes it, Enact your other prejudices under a guise of social justice. No, you're not helping women. No, you're not being noble. You are being a bigot and harming women across the board. And that's not the only thing that's problematic that you're not getting. Statistically, women are more likely to be sexually assaulted by a cishet man, more likely to be murdered by a cishet man, And if you look at legislation aimed at undermining the reproductive rights of people who can become pregnant, many of whom are women, that threat comes out of state governments that are extremely weighted with cishet white men. If you are really interested in supporting women, maybe start your cleanup efforts in your own community. It's not trans women who are passing laws to restrict my reproductive rights. It's not trans women who are a threat to my safety. It's cishet white men. If you'd like to make the world a better place for women, get your community to chill out on the sexual assaults, to let up a little bit on murdering us, and stop passing laws that deny our agency and humanity and subject us to brutal objectification. The list is quite a bit longer than that, but your superpower here is that you share privilege with the cishet white men who are doing this damage, and you've got more than enough work to do fixing the stuff your own community is causing without trying to saddle trans women as being our oppressors, while you're oppressing all women, cis and trans, and not a few non-men as well who aren't even women. My goal here is not to hammer cishet white men. But again, it just seems that's who's doing the fake concern act here. That's who is so blocked by their privilege that they can't understand it when a woman, cis or trans, says, when did you get so interested in women's sports? If that question sounds ridiculous to you, it's because you can't see past your privilege to hear what's being suggested. We aren't suggesting that oppression be ignored. We aren't raising a nonsensical point. We're calling you out on your misogyny and transphobia for ignoring the harm you are doing to women and women's sports while trying to use women's issues to harm all women and turn women on each other. Women don't need cis men to try to divide us. We don't need men to protect us from trans women. We need cis men to focus on protecting us from their fellow cis men because that's who's driving our oppression and marginalization. Women need to unify. Women need to deal with our own issues. Cis men can be a big help by listening to women and amplifying our voices to other cis men who need to hear it but can't because their privilege is getting in the way. Again, privilege acts as interference in all of us. It's not that cishet men are uniquely affected by this. 
Although the more areas of privilege you have that intersect, the more marginalized groups you'll have trouble hearing. But it works the same if it's a single area of privilege or many. And in this case, these men are plowing ahead saying they care about cis women and want to defend us from trans women. In fact, they don't care about any women and are harming all women. That's why you're getting asked when you started to care about women's sports. It's a call out. It's people you're harming asking you to please do some internal examination about what your real motive is here, because it really is possible to do a lot of harm when you're actually using marginalized people to hurt other marginalized people in areas where you only have privilege. You don't get cookies for, quote, helping, unquote, when you're only there because it's an opportunity to hide your bigotry under the cloak of supporting a marginalized community. This also leads into another issue where a person in privilege tried to help without caring if their help would harm. I think I've used the example before of a grease fire. Think of the dominant culture as being a common fire. It blazes up, you throw water on it, and it gets put out. Everyone knows that you put out a fire with water. But marginalized communities are in special circumstances. They aren't in the dominant culture. That's what marginalized conveys. They're dealing with situations and issues the dominant culture isn't. That's where privilege comes from. Having identities that are understood and acceptable and accommodated by the dominant culture. Having an identity that isn't accepted or accommodated can go from annoying to even lethal. And the more your identities aren't accommodated, the harder your life becomes. When I see a fire in a trans community... I may think the best thing to do is to run over and throw water on it. But when trans people tell me that's a really bad idea, they've dealt with a lot of fires in their community and the water thing doesn't really work out so well, I need to hear them and respect what they're telling me. What they're dealing with is a grease fire. And I'm not used to dealing with grease fires. I've never had to put out a grease fire. And I don't know the trick is to smother it by covering it. If I'm smart, I'll realize that my goal is to support this community, and that means doing what they tell me they think is best, let them explain their goals and what they need, and help support that. If I decide to think with my privilege, though, I won't listen. I'll assume that I know better. I'll bring in a hose and end up burning that space to the ground. Then when they tell me that I've screwed up mightily, I'll act offended and say I was only trying to help and that they don't deserve allies if they can't treat me better. Then I'll stomp off across the ashes of what used to be their home that I just burned to the ground. A question came up recently about whether it's a good idea to attack cis women turfs using gender slurs or gender-based insults and attacks. The answer is no. And it's weirdly similar to the issue I just discussed about pretending you're supporting marginalized people when you're actually just using them as a cover to be a bigot to another marginalized group. The entire point of a gender slur, or racial slur, or ableist slur, or any other slur is that it doesn't target an individual. It targets an attribute that is common to a larger group, all of whom will be hit with the insult if you attempt to use it on just one person. Slurs are weaponized in one of two ways, either of which results in targeting the entire community that has the attribute. I may target a person within the community. An example would be if I were to find out someone is gay and then use an anti-gay slur to call them out for a marginalized status. 
That is, as with all slurs, the point is to throw my privilege in their face. It's bad to be gay like them, and I'm not like them. I'm in the acceptable and accommodated group of heterosexual people who are not targeted for abuse or discrimination. When I throw a homophobic slur their way, that's what I'm conveying. You don't have the power. I have the power. Also, though, it's very common to target another person who shares my privilege and use the label of a marginalized person to try and insult them. That would be the case if I know my friend or someone I don't like is also heterosexual, but I use a gay slur on them in order to insult them. To basically say, you are like this despised, marginalized category of person. It's a symbolic denial of their heterosexual status, literally an assault on their privilege. And in the cis male community, this insult to privilege can be so infuriating that it actually comes to blows. I mean, think about that. Just suggesting that a person in privilege is associated with a marginalized status, even when both the person hurling the insult and the person on the receiving end know it's not accurate, is enough to start an actual fistfight between cis men. But in either case, whether it's calling out an actual marginalized person or comparing a person of privilege to a marginalized person in order to denigrate them, the result to the marginalized person is the same. They are being reminded that their social standing is less than. The gay person is targeted with a label that others them and calls them out for being outside of the dominant culture and placed into the margins that are less accommodated or not accommodated at all in some cases. In the U.S., for example, not long ago, if you were gay, you were denied the same marriage rights as a straight person. Even to this day, you don't have the same opportunities for adopting a child. So you're discriminated against, and this gives straight people an edge because we don't have to jump through as many hoops or find accommodation to do the same things a gay person needs to do, but can't accomplish with the same level of ease, and therefore must expend more resources if they want the same things in life that I'm handed because I won the birth lottery for sexual orientations. So again, the question was whether it's a good idea to weaponize gender to attack a woman turf. And I hope you're seeing more clearly why it's not. There's such a thing as an ironic use of misogyny. I have male friends who have mastered it. I post a thread, they come on and tease me or some of the other women by putting on a misogynistic, masculinized persona. We all know these people, that they are supportive of women, and we know it's my space, and so folks are pretty good generally about recognizing it's mocking a sexist and not reflecting the actual views or attitudes of the man expressing it with humor. Ironic use of misogyny exists and can be funny when everyone is in on the joke and nobody's legitimately being attacked. But if my friend actually attacks a woman, even one I don't like, using misogyny, that's not ironic use of misogyny. It's just misogyny. Not only does it land on the woman targeted, but on all women, and in fact on anyone dealing with an issue of gender identity, because misogyny and toxic masculinity are the foundation of all gender bias in the West. Jessie Gender nailed it recently when she asked if it's okay to go all racist if the person saying problematic stuff is black. The answer is no. Because racism, like all attacks on marginalized group and like COVID, doesn't respect boundaries. It splatters all over the entire community, not just one specific person. It's why this type of attack is sometimes said to cause, quote, splash damage, unquote. The idea being that if you hurl a water balloon at someone, people in proximity will also get wet. You can't really contain the water once it hits the targeted person. 
And this is how it is with marginalized communities. Slurs mark all of us as being part of a group that is relegated in some way to the margins of society. Targeting someone due to a marginalized racial status is just me as a white person throwing my privilege in their face as a strategy. And I'm not tone-trolling. I'm actually fine with swearing and even general insults. I don't walk around demanding civility from everyone. But slurs and bigotry used as, quote, tools, unquote, in a conversation with a marginalized person, in a community that I'm not a part of, and that's a key point, is just bigotry. There is no way to use a gender slur on just one woman. There is no way to misgender just one trans woman. In a very real way, an attack on one is an attack on all, because all of the other people with that marginalized status know that that targeting applies to them as well, and they hear the message that they are less than, and if they step out of line, they'll be next. I suppose what it boils down to is, if you want to support people, support them in the way they want to be supported. If you're a bigot who wants to bash marginalized people, don't use another marginalized group as your shield to try and front with a noble cause to mask your bigoted motive. And don't use marginalized people as your weapons to try and do damage to other people you don't like, whether they're members of that group or not. Don't use people who are marginalized to benefit your privileged self. People are not objects for you to use as a shield or a weapon. Their pain and their oppression are not yours to use as your shield or your weapon. If you are a person in privilege and not interested in legitimately supporting a marginalized community, the next best thing you can do is stay away from them and stay out of their business. Mucking around with someone else's trauma, struggle, and pain for selfish reasons and without any real respect for what they're coping with opens up a huge opportunity to do harm. That's it for this episode of At Home in My Head, exploring life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay safe, be well, and never stop exploring.